Hello and welcome to the Full of Beans podcast, hosted by myself, Hannah Hickenbotham. Throughout these podcast episodes, we will speak to a range of individuals about their experience of eating disorders with the aim of increasing awareness and understanding whilst reducing stigma and isolation. Please note that the topics discussed in this podcast may be triggering for some individuals, so tread lightly, check in with yourself and reflect on these conversations. Today I'm joined by Rachel Evans. Rachel is a bulimia recovery specialist and has created her practice to use her personal experience of recovering from an eating disorder to support clients as a chartered psychologist in their eating disorder recovery journey. Rachel specialises in bulimia recovery and joins us today to discuss navigating this recovery process. Hello Rachel. Hi. How are you? Yeah I'm good thank you, thank you for having me. Good. No, it's really nice. It feels like so long ago since I came on your podcast. Like I don't even, I don't even know like what month that was. <laughs> yeah, I was actually feeling a bit ill the other day, and I said to my husband, I was like, "Oh, I don't know if I'll do the podcast tomorrow or cancel it." But I was like, "We've been planning it since like October or something, haven't we?" And now we're recording <laughs> it in January. I was like, "I don't think we can move it." Like, <laughs> oh, absolutely. Are you feeling okay? Are you okay to do it? Yeah, I'm okay. I'm okay. Are you sure? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What was wrong yesterday? I was just feeling really sick like oh. just annoyingly do you know when you can't really eat much and you're just like oh yeah I feel like there's <laughs> loads there's a lot going around at the minute I don't know whether it's like January blues but like my partner was off all of last week and it's not like him to be ill at all fortunately I missed it I was like nope not having that and good so it was good yeah I don't know if it was something I ate because my like husband hasn't mm. got it and he's fine usually he'll get stuff like that <laughs> um, but yeah bye now happy to be amazing here. Good, good. Um, well, I'm super excited to speak to you today. Um, and obviously, we're going to focus on bulimia recovery. Um, and just as I was like thinking about doing the podcast today, I was like, I always assume when I do a podcast, you know, if it's about a specific eating disorder, that people will just know what it is when they listen, um, which is a bad assumption to make. So I thought, could you start just by explaining to the listeners what bulimia is, please? Yeah. So I'll just explain it in like layman's terms, not like yeah. here's the. DSM definition but it's um, obviously a diagnostic statistical manual um so it's when people binge eat so we might define a binge as you're kind of eating more than people would usually eat in that certain amount of time um so for example like a binge wouldn't be say Christmas day people tend to overeat a lot um and it's kind of normal for that situation um and I guess binge eating tends to be characterized by often eating quite fast often eating in secret um can come with this sense of shame after you've eaten that amount of food um or like kind of feelings of guilt so someone will have a binge and then binge eating disorder which is when people have the binge um but bulimia is when people also then try and compensate for that so that could be purging in terms of like making yourself vomit um, it could be things like taking laxatives, it could be over-exercising, it could be fasting, um, could be taking diuretics, which are like water tablets, uh, misusing insulin. Um, and I suppose just to say, now if you're thinking, oh, I haven't thought of those things, um, they're not good things to be doing, which I'm sure we'll, we'll come on to. Um, and also with bulimia, um, similar to a, quite a few eating disorders, um, like people's uh, perceptions of themselves is really influenced by their weight and shape um, and their body. So that is bulimia for the sort of criteria that are like a certain amount of times per month 
to be doing it to be classified but I don't think that's particularly helpful for people um who you know might be struggling and then maybe can't get help because they don't quite meet a criteria or you know that sort of thing you're nodding you're like yeah I think so (laughs) it's interesting because um I thank you so much for that that was a really lovely overview to kind of start the podcast but when you were just saying about that um kind of I guess the criteria for a diagnosis we speak a lot about like anorexia and you know you needing to be a certain BMI in order to get the anorexia diagnosis but if you if you're not that BMI then you get atypical anorexia um but we don't talk a lot about what happens with bulimia if you don't meet that criteria of like a certain you know number of binges and purges um and equally like you said i think it i mean it's completely barbaric as whether you are you know purging binging and purging once a week once a month whatever like that's not something that somebody with a you know quote-unquote healthy relationship with food should be doing and therefore you know that requires support so what happens if somebody doesn't meet this sort of number of binges and purges um I think it would really depend on where you are the services um so just in my own personal experience um when I had bulimia I tried to go to a charity first Mm -hmm. um I don't know why I didn't really want to go to the NHS I knew there was a local charity um, and actually, for me, they said, you're too severe. We can't help you. You've got to go right. to the NHS. So it might be that if um, you don't kind of meet criteria for NHS services or other funded services, there might be like charities um, that could help you. But I suppose you must have the discussion as well. Just because someone's not exhibiting certain behaviours doesn't mean what's going on in their head mm-hmm. isn't there. And it's, they're not really struggling with that. Mm-hmm every day so I do think it's difficult but I do think services obviously, as you know are like overstretched mm-hmm. um big waiting lists what I also found frustrating when I was recovering is that I hadn't been and purged for I felt like a while but then I still meet the criteria because it's like the amount of times you've done it over three months right so say I hadn't done it for like two months but it's like oh I still got bulimia because <laughs> yeah it's like on average over three months yeah. how many times you would do it and I was thinking oh, I want to be recovered now but obviously you don't recover overnight but I wanted to be yeah. like I don't I don't want to have to have a label still yeah if only it could be overnight hey um <laughs> I guess that's the problem with the way that the the diagnostics are set up and I guess this kind of is across the board for all eating disorders is that it's very like because it's to do with numbers like the number of times that you've been and purged or your BMI or whatever there is that cut-off point um and I guess it's I always think what makes that cut-off point the cut-off point mm-hmm. um you know people have arguments for why in anorexia let's say they need to have a certain cut-off point for BMI I don't personally agree with it because I think you know you can be at a healthy BMI and have all the consequences of somebody at a lower BMI and the same with binging and purging you know why is how many times is it an average of three times a week for a month um I think it's actually I did pull up so I can quote you no it's once a week for three months once a week for three months so why different levels I don't have because I don't tend to like classify my yeah. clients like that we we don't yeah. work like that um, but if people are interested they could 
look mm. it up you know there's like moderate severe categories yeah. so yeah so how do you work with clients to not maybe have that sort of very categorical like boom yes you have it no you don't kind of idea um I don't know we just I suppose <laughs> I might we might talk about eating disorder more generally rather than say unless they're coming to me saying I have and so I have bulimia yeah. then I might talk about that specific thing but I suppose we would talk more like eating disorder thoughts or right. eating disorder behaviors mm-hmm. and doing some weird like mushroom arm overview <laughs> <laughs> um kind of uh, gesture here with this um so I think I I try to get an idea of like frequency at the beginning um, and we probably talk about it as we're going through week to week like how's your week been what's been going on maybe if they've had any like tools and techniques that they were going to implement like how have they gone um and then I would just trust my clients to tell me if they feel like you know maybe the frequency has been reducing or it's reduced and then they have another binge and purge for whatever reason we'll kind of deconstruct that but I won't be like oh congratulations you've been three weeks and not done a binge and purge because I don't really keep track of it like we just look at the whole picture really yeah and I think like you said before um it's often not necessarily you know I think I think it is good when people's binging and purging does reduce that potentially shows a sign of improvement but it might also not because like you said it's the thoughts that are going on and it might just be that somebody is has been able to kind of pause and stop before they do binge and purge but they were still having all of those thoughts beforehand you know the the pulling maybe they were there for like three four hours should I shouldn't I should like and that's I think the really important thing to recognize and I think that's I mean, I don't have bulimia, but for me, that's something very prominent at the moment is like the thoughts of restriction. Like I, I, I really want to restrict. I really, and it's there all the time and the bullying in my head. I'm not actually because I'm trying to engage in recovery, but it doesn't mean that the thoughts aren't there, which is in my personal opinion, kind of the hardest part. Yeah, I suppose that's a good point. We would also talk about like urges and mm-hmm. trying to reduce the urges because I'm thinking this it's kind of related you can stop me if you're like this is too much of a tangent but like people recover in different ways so I do have some clients who stop binging and purging and then it's about maintaining that like they stop quite quickly when we work together I have other clients who've been working together for a couple of months and they're still binging and purging maybe less frequently maybe the same frequency but actually other stuff has changed like you say maybe they're more able to talk to their thoughts and have that moment um or maybe and something I've done before and I was talking to a client about recently is like sometimes I'll go to the supermarket to buy the binge food but then I would like put it back on the shelf or I'd get to the supermarket and then go home because I was only going specifically to buy binge food not for like actual shopping um so those things have shifted and if you look on paper you might say oh but they're still binging and purging but maybe they're feeling better about their body or maybe the extent of it you know how much they're consuming in a binge is less um so I think there's different ways that people recover and we can't always like compare them yeah yeah absolutely I, I really agree I think that's something so important to say about recovery is there's no like one way to do it um and I think I remember doing a podcast or oh, that was a quite a while ago I can't remember who it was with and I was talking about 
I think it was with um, Bethany, um, Francois, and we were talking about binging and purging. And I was saying, like, you know, should you stop the binging first or should you stop the purging first? Like, what needs to happen? And she said exactly the same as you, like, there is no right way. Like, if you if you stop one and you don't stop the other, like, that's okay. And, yeah, so I think you're so right in terms of ultimately you want to get to the point of being recovered whatever steps it's going to take to get there and however you get there doesn't really matter as long as you're kind of making progress towards the urges reducing the behaviors reducing the thoughts reducing and also you know that's not going to happen as easy as me just saying that like you know it it's going to take work and you might stumble and you might binge and purge you might you know whatever um but that i think is all about recovery as well in the fact that it isn't linear it you can sometimes re-engage and it's how you bounce back from that rather than like falling back into those behaviors yeah like I was thinking when you're talking like it can be quite disheartening mm-hmm. like you say it doesn't happen overnight but I think just trying to look for oh what has shifted what has changed and I guess your guests must talk about this um a lot but like trying to think okay what did I learn since mm. last time so for example I'll just give you a couple of examples of clients who have not binged and purged for a stretch of time and then they've had a binge and purge and I wouldn't count it as a relapse because it's like a one-off occasion that we can almost like zoom out of and have a look at and think oh what was happening then um so one was a client who had been at work all day and then had gone to the gym um and then she came home and then she was like oh I just started eating everything out of the cupboards and then it was almost for her, it felt like that switch had gone. I've eaten too much, kind of stereotypical thoughts kind of came in. And at that point, she just kind of thought, I'll blow it, I'll have, you know, eat more and get rid of it. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas other situations, she'd been able to think, oh, I think I've eaten a bit too much, but that's okay. You know, talk herself around from it. And we kind of looked at it like she was just not just, but she was really hungry at that point after the gym and quite depleted and quite tired after work um and so we were like okay what could we put in place if you want to start going to the gym after work again um even stuff like have a protein shake it's a bit cheesy isn't it <laughs> like a gym <laughs> gym culture but if that's that's going to tide you over until you can make dinner or something or um sometimes she would have like um takeaway dinner she lived somewhere that you could get really nice like sushi and all you know the fancy <laughs> fancy takeout so if she was like, oh maybe I'll like get dinner buy dinner on the way home or something just to stop getting over hungry um so that was a good thing for her um and then I had another client who actually um had stopped binging I oh, know she'd stopped purging before she started working with me but she was still binging um and so we did a lot of work on um kind of nutrition making sure that she was eating enough for her body to kind of prevent binges for like physiological reasons a lot of work about like this isn't a good food or a bad food you can eat all these kinds of foods um and she was feeling a lot better about her body a lot better at work like I would say things were going really well (laughs) um and then she moved from she was living with her parents during covid she was in her 20s but she'd moved back because otherwise it was a bit, was a bit is- isolating um, and then she'd moved to a house with her friend and um kind of been out one day like had been drinking a bit not excessively but a little bit and then binged and purged when she got home and she was like what was that like she we weren't seeing each other very often at that point but she was like can I have a session and she was like it was really interesting I had no idea why I did it 
and I'm not I'm not tempted to do it again to be honest because I think sometimes like um this is true for me now like when you break that association mm-hmm. like I used to like making myself vomit as part of the like ritual and the routine and the bulimia and now I really don't mm-hmm. and so for her she's been long enough that she kind of broken it I was like well that was weird I just did that but it didn't mean the same as when she did it before but obviously she wanted to come and talk to me to like see see what was going on and if we could talk around it but we were just like okay that was a random thing to happen maybe next time you drink there's some things that you could consider but maybe it just won't happen again maybe it was just a weird random thing and that's okay yeah yeah I mean that's really strange isn't it I guess almost quite a nice reflection in that like it's been such a long time now that I'm like oh I don't actually like this anymore like it doesn't feel you know like something I want to do um and I think sometimes you do it's almost like this could sound weird but sometimes you know when you haven't seen a friend for a while and then you question like oh why haven't I seen that friend for ages maybe we should hang out and then you hang out with them and you're like wasn't that great like I I don't really feel like I've missed anything um and sometimes you need that realization to be like yeah we've just like grown apart we're different people now and I guess that's kind of maybe how it can be with with the binging and purging yeah because I think for me um now if I thought oh you have to go and do it which I mean is different because I wouldn't be wanting to but I thought it takes so much time it takes so much energy (laughs) it's a lot of hassle whereas at the time the reward that you're getting from it or the Mm -hmm. payoff is obviously bigger than those things or actually for me um part of my reason for doing it not at the beginning but at the end was avoidance and procrastination so I actually wanted to be using the time yeah um, to do it yeah and I think um I was um reading like somebody's post on Instagram earlier um the eating disorder therapist and it was talking about like rebuilding your identity after eating disorder recovery and it was saying how like you know when you engage in an eating disorder the like thoughts about food weight and body are your prominent thoughts and then like you don't have as much time to think about hobbies and family and friends and so when you go through recovery and you start to build back in hobbies and and friends and and things like that you I don't want this to sound how it's going to sound because it sounds like oh eating disorders recovery is so simple just fill your time but like you don't have as much time because you've got so many other things in your like pie chart taking it up that you then you don't have as much time and I think that's one reason why a lot of people you know continue with behaviors is because they don't have those other things so it's like well I have nothing to do right now so I might as well go exercise or I might as well you know go and go and do another self-sabotage behavior that's part of my eating disorder because that's the only thing I've got right now yeah I think so I think just using myself as an example like when my eating disorder started it was more like orthorexia I think I had Mm. some uh things that we might recognize as anorexia not in terms of like the textbook definition but if you talk to people about what it's like like how I was thinking what foods I was scared of like I was scared to eat more um if I look at it I was okay I was very not okay even though I thought I was being super healthy but I was living abroad by myself I was like sat sharing with the family because it was cheaper so I was kind of isolated in that I didn't really have um like roommates and stuff my colleagues were lovely but they've obviously got their own life they can't like be seeing me all the time so I think I had a lot of time in the evenings weekends to like spend 
obsessing about food, doing mm. exercise, just walking and walking. I was oh, I don't want to take the bus. I don't know what the bus route is. I'll just like walk way too far. <laughs> well, why? Because I've got the time to walk. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then it kind of went through some ups and downs um, before it got to the bulimia. But then when the bulimia was bad, again, I was living by myself. Um, it was when I was the second year of my PhD. Um, and so, again, I had a lot of time in the evenings, kind of spent doing not much. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's really interesting about the kind of being on your own element of it, because um, I've mentioned this before on the podcast, but like, because this is my second time in recovery, the first time around, I was at home with my parents. There was, you know, my mum worked days, my dad worked nights. So it actually worked really well in terms of supporting me because there was somebody there in the day, there's somebody there in the evening. Um, but that meant that like, you know, I couldn't really do anything in secret um, because there was always somebody there. But then as an adult, you know, I live with my partner, but, you know, we have different work schedules. We've got different social schedules, all of that. And so you do have more alone time where you can potentially engage in those behaviours. And it's it's a lot harder to fight back to the eating disorder because it's like, well, you know, you've got you've got half an hour or whatever. Um so I wondered if you had any thoughts there, you know, from your personal experience or working with clients about how to navigate that. Because I think when it's just you versus the eating disorder, it's a lot harder than when somebody else is with you and it's together versus the eating disorder. Yeah, I think we spoke about this uh, when you came on my podcast. Um, but it's always that like getting angry at the eating disorder piece. Because mm-hmm. um, I remember it's not quite the same, but it's coming to my mind. Um, I got really angry at the bulimia when I went on holiday because I knew my he was my partner then, not my my husband. Um, but I knew he was going cycling like on the Wednesday, say we got there on Saturday or something. And so I just kept thinking, right, on Wednesday I'm going to go to this shop. Like I was planning out in my head the binge and purge that was going to happen mm-hmm. on Wednesday. And then I just was like, I've just ruined my whole holiday. Actually, I did go to the shop. I did manage to put it back. I did have like a mini binge and purge on a different day, I think, because I didn't do it on the Wednesday, but it was generally managed to not act on the thoughts, but they were there and they were like ruining the mm. holiday. And so I think sometimes just thinking about like, I haven't done it. How much time am I spending like planning that I'm going to yeah. do these things? And then sometimes either like scheduling stuff to do in the, t- this is like when you're home, scheduling stuff to do in those time so like you say if you need something social like calling someone or um I don't I've just got an iPhone so I've just got Clubhouse <laughs> so I'm just like oh there's some it's quite nice isn't it because it's I'm like really late to the party it's like a live podcast isn't it and I'm like oh I've never heard of it oh have you not I feel like maybe maybe it was when the first lockdown happened um, okay you can only get it on iphone though that's the thing we've got an iphone oh right um they're like rooms i'm saying in inverted commas um and then so people do a talk but they can save them so you can listen to it like a podcast but if you go onto it live then you can like chat as a thing oh, wow, that's so cool. or you can like request to to ask a question or request yeah. to like say your piece so um I've been listening to a few of those or kind of joining a few of yeah. those, which is quite nice um, as like a distraction. Um, so 
I know people always say distraction, but sometimes it is. Yeah. It's all you can do, really. Just find what works for you. I know for me, it was playing lots of Candy Crush. I was like, right, I'm playing Candy Crush. Like, for me, it worked because... um, So I kind of realised I need to stop purging. Even if I can't stop binging, I need to stop purging Mm -hmm. because that's really what was keeping it going for me. So it was like, okay, even if I have a binge, then I just cannot get rid of it. Mm-hmm. Like, because that's going to, you know, start me off again. And who knows when I'll stop. Um, is that like, oh, just one time? It's like, no, that has to be the last time. Yeah. Um, so I could play candy, which I would sit on the sofa and I don't have to move. I don't have to really do anything or think anything. And I feel like it's got that little hit of like, oh, hooray, you've like got to the next level. It's like yeah. <laughs> occupying enough. I could kind of sit there and feel uncomfortable or be wrapped in a blanket, which um, I mean, I was lucky that I had the time and space to do that. I mean, not yeah. like now I have a baby. I wouldn't be able to sit and play Candy Crush for ages. I'd be too busy mm-hmm. um, looking after him. But if you are kind of like you're saying at home on your own are there distraction things like I've had um clients who do like cross stitch and knitting mm-hmm. and I think it's just finding what's that thing for you yeah and then just sticking at it a little bit until you've got that evidence for yourself like oh like I didn't do those things this week mm-hmm. or I suppose it's a bit different because I'm talking about avoiding behavior I suppose it's a bit different if you have to make yourself eat when mm-hmm. no one's there but yeah well I mean no we're, we're kind of focusing on um like purging behavior like binging and purging so I think that's really good and I, I I like I hope this is okay to say but I like the fact what you said about you know Candy Crush having that like little bit of reward and I think it's very similar with like the cross stitch or like if you do something like that because you do get a hit of reward and often that's what you need so if you try and do something like that you're not getting an instant reward from. I imagine it wouldn't be as helpful. You know, if you just sit and watch TV, that's, I mean, it's very passive. Um, and I think then thoughts can spiral, but almost because you're having to concentrate, whether it's on Candy Crush or doing a cross stitch or whatever, you're having to concentrate and then you're getting the reward. So it feels like that would be a good distraction. And I think of, often people kind of shame distractions they're like oh no you have to sit with the feeling and all of that and I do totally get that but you can sit with a feeling and do something that makes it slightly easier than literally just sitting frozen still because your brain is just going to go into overdrive yeah I think I think it's a bit of trial and error and a bit of this and that yeah. like sometimes my clients don't give people homework as such but we might mm-hmm. think okay this week sit with the feeling see what comes up there's a technique called urge surfing mm-hmm. um and so it's almost like my hands doing the wave motion it's like it gets to that peak where you're like I absolutely have to do this I will die if I don't do this just you know all the mm-hmm. kind of extreme thoughts but then it kind of goes down and you're like oh mm-hmm. oh it's not quite that bad it's kind of passed often if you don't act on it but it's kind of difficult to get to that point and it's not saying that thought won't come up later because it might do mm-hmm. um so sometimes people kind of practice that but then I'd say often when people do it also successfully in inverted commas and like enjoy it and actually are like oh I've learned something from that um it's more like I had a client who decided that she'd go and sit in the garden mm-hmm. and do it and then she was like yeah. why am I sitting in the garden I can't remember <laughs> Um, well that's so, funny 
I think it can be a challenge and I think that comes back yeah. to um, something you were kind of saying earlier about sometimes starting small mm-hmm. and that might be you're starting it for 30 seconds yeah I mean I think it's kind of different different behaviors isn't it for the mm-hmm. purging like I mean like making yourself vomit is kind of an instant reward stuff like exercise people may be doing their room and stuff but it's often not as instant um mm-hmm. reward or like fasting tend to be longer term so there's possibly like different strategies and you know thought questioning that needs to go on with those mm-hmm. yeah yeah that's interesting actually I guess some of them aren't an instant reward um I guess yeah when I said about the instant reward I was probably thinking about the self-induced vomiting but I guess as well with things like laxatives and diuretics that's not probably going to be an in, like a super instant reward um and maybe I don't know I think when I'm now thinking about that instant reward obviously my experience has only been restriction uh and, and, and excessive exercise but I'm just thinking about like maybe a spectrum of kind of how am I trying to say this? So like when I am about to engage in a restrictive behavior, it, I find it very difficult to think, how am I, how is what I'm doing right now going to impact my future? Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like, okay, well, if I'm, if I make myself sick, I'm going to be sick. Like that's like the immediate thing. And then we'll, I'm sure we'll come onto this in, in a bit, but there are those consequences in the future and maybe I'm not, um, no, no, because I've never done that before. I might not know, but for me, the driver of that would be that instant reward. Mm-hmm. Whereas the driver for the restriction for me is the long-term weight loss. And so with, with diuretics and laxatives, where would you say that they fall on that sort of spectrum of the instant reward of like purging to, weight loss is is it is it somewhere on there or am I completely lost yeah I think I get your point I'm not going to answer it like quite specifically but I think I take your point um so even with like making yourself vomit Mm -hmm. often the intention is to not gain weight from the binge to get rid of the food so it still kind of has that longer term sure like intention for it like restricting or um with the other things and I suppose you can instantly take a laxative so I suppose yeah. you've got okay I've done it now mm-hmm. if you know you've had the urge you kind of scratch the itch to do it it's just the effect will take mm-hmm. a few hours or more yeah and does I mean obviously it? does that make sense yeah no no that does that does answer it I guess you can't like answer for the on the whole but is the does the kind of driver from diuretics and laxative does that align with the um, self-induced vomiting in that you know people are trying to prevent weight gain or is there other reasons why people might take the laxatives and diuretics um i think that's the main reason that is a piece um i'm not sure if i'm going to say this very well but around then it's almost once people have done it i think the primary intention like those um slimming teas and all of that jazz <laughs> that aren't particularly good for you um <laughs> is to prevent weight gain but obviously you've digested the food before it's 
coming yeah. out so they don't really work um how we think they're going to work there's a piece around then when people have done it like often it's quite painful um mm-hmm. if people have been taking laxatives or taking laxatives for a while when they do go to the toilet um and then some people almost feel that they need that pain or that punishment right. for eating so I think they could it can often turn into something more mm-hmm. like with the vomiting yeah like it starts off as one thing like oh, I don't want to to gain weight so I'll try and get rid of it which again doesn't exactly work as max mm-hmm. as we think it would do um but then you know people might say oh but I need that release Mm-hmm. that feeling that it gives me so I think when people have had the experience it can kind of shift mm-hmm. to have other rewards or other reasons as well but I would say mostly these things start as a way to try and prevent mm-hmm. weight gain yeah I think I can I can align with that a lot with my relationship with exercise in terms of it the main driver being to prevent weight gain but then also it's like that urge that release that almost I see the excess of exercise as a form of self-harm because it is that punishment and kind of pushing your body to into painful areas so I guess you know that kind of makes sense as to why they're all labeled as purging behaviors because they all despite them being different behaviors they've all got very similar sort of starting points and then impacts and and effects as well yeah 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 and in terms of recovery so we've spoken about like you know trying to navigate urges and I can imagine that that is a massive challenge that people face are there any other common challenges that you see with with clients when they're in recovery from bulimia yeah, I think one of the big ones, and I think this is any eating disorder, is like the fear of the unknown. Mm. It's almost like you have to get past that to be able to take some action or to be able to start questioning things. So that unknown, like, well, what is my body going to look like? What's going to happen if I maybe started eating uh, regular balanced meals, for example? Mm. Um, or what would happen if I stopped purging but carried on binging, um, if that were that been in someone's recovery um so I guess when that happens I get I, I suppose if people are coming to see me because I'm a private therapist they've already got a certain amount of trust that something can change and something can be different and it will be more positive um on the other side but I think it's really tapping into like that motivation and that why because we don't know what would happen to your body anyone that promises to you oh you can lose weight in recovery um you know or you can control your weight like they can't really promise you that I think you'd still be restricting or you'd still be thinking about food a lot um so or on some kind of weird bad diet (laughs) Mm -hmm. um so I think just trying to work out okay but what's more important to me than that what can I um take on this fear of the unknown in order to gain so that might be like to do with your relationships to do with your career um just general well-being like wanting your time back um hobbies that you might have you know let slip um I think that's a big one you're kind of nodding I think that's across the board yeah. isn't it <laughs> yeah yeah I think that's a a really 
um, a really interesting point that you made about like when people come to you as a private therapist, they've already got that sort of trust that they that things can change. I guess it's kind of, you know, if someone's coming to see you, there's like a, a thing of, you know, there is there is hope for me here. Like I do want to change my life, but I just don't even know where to start. Um, and I guess that is almost the position I'm in at the moment in that like I, I know that things can change I have ideas of what I want to change and there's hope but then it's like about implementing it um so then how do you work with clients I guess to then reduce the behaviors or kind of guide them towards towards recovery I mean we spoke about earlier it's not just about reducing the behaviors so many other things but what's the next step in the process once they've started working with you yeah, I think it's very different depending on, you know, where the person is when they come to me. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I'm kind of lucky in that quite a lot of my clients are quite self-aware mm-hmm. about what's happening and what's going on. And maybe they've already done some reflection um, about their past, like my mm-hmm. kind of longer term one-to-one clients. Um, you know, they obviously haven't got everything figured out or, you know, they've got some kind of gaps in their knowledge. But um, so we tend to have a look like I am not a dietitian I'm not a nutritionist but we would have a look like okay what kind of foods are you eating what foods are you thinking of good and bad foods because often triggers um for a binge could be eating something that's like a bad food in inverted commas or too much um so we kind of look what are their triggers but um it's kind of hard to explain because it is quite like semantics of like how do you do this without it being a diet because it sounds like a diet but trying to help people eat regular balanced meals and that does I don't make anyone do anything if my clients like I really don't like breakfast I'm not going to make them eat breakfast a lot of my clients who don't want breakfast then change their mind and actually decide that they feel better if they start their day with breakfast or they feel better if they had a snack as well because maybe they've got more energy or they can concentrate better or something um so we try and look at like balancing our physiology and stopping blood sugar um, kind of being all over the place because I think that's quite important. Like, you know, when I was talking earlier about the client who had a binge after the gym because she was just really hungry. I know I say just, sorry, I don't mean to say just to minimise it, <laughs> um, but she was really hungry and depleted. So we kind of try and put people in the best physiological state mm. to be able to combat those urges because I'm not sure if you have noticed um in your recovery I think when you are quite drained and depleted it does often seem harder to talk back to those thoughts mm-hmm. like if you're really hungry then if you've had a day that maybe I don't know if you're on a meal plan but if people have kind of stuck to their meal plan or their meal um structure that's the word I use yeah. the structure um then you know it's possibly easier to mm-hmm. have the next meal um, so we we kind of look at that and then it's really different for different people depending on what they're coming with some people it seems like a good area to start would be looking at body image um you know some people uh what else do we look at <laughs> I guess any any triggers and why that thing is a trigger and starting to unpick the beliefs around that thing and then it's kind of a juggling act of like I do think it's important to look at people's past and think where do these thoughts and beliefs come from and I also do hypnotherapy um, sessions with clients when I guess the goal of hypnotherapy is to talk to someone's subconscious mind and help them remember like what was going on 
when this came about? What beliefs did you make? I like what meaning did you give to those events that sometimes is like I don't want to say wrong but we might have interpreted something differently at the time like a really good example um that I can give you is I had a client and her memory in the hypnotherapy was her getting bullied about her body and then when she thought of the memory she was like I don't know why that girl was bullying me because her body looked exactly like my body I mean, even if it was different, um, yeah, she shouldn't have been bullying her. But it was just really interesting that she was like, mm-hmm. oh, I've carried this for a long time. Like, my body should be different. But what gave that girl the rights? Mm-hmm. And like I said, even if the girl had had a different body, it still doesn't give her the right. But in this example, yeah. it was just quite, um, what word am I looking for? Striking, maybe, of like, oh, mm-hmm. I've just made that belief in being carrying around. And obviously other stuff has happened to reinforce that belief Mm -hmm. than like diet culture and you know 2000s magazines and all of that (laughs) unhelpful stuff um but it's interesting to look kind of like oh what maybe where did this start there's never just one Mm -hmm. cause but what were some of the factors going on how how can we start to reframe those events so it's not that the things didn't happen to you um because obviously the root of some people's eating disorders are like trauma and things like that maybe um you know stuff that's going on in their family when they were younger that stuff still happened but how could we help you think differently about it so you don't need the eating disorder as a way to cope because we've not really talked about that yet but we will probably have a look like how is this bulimia helping you mm-hmm. and sometimes we'll be like but it's not helping me and I'm like oh there's got to be something good about it otherwise you wouldn't keep doing it um so like I say for me at the end, it was like, oh, this is a distraction. Now. This is avoidance. I can avoid doing my PhD, which I've... the stupid thing is I was good enough and it was going well until I decided that it wasn't. <laughs> but I thought it wasn't. And I was putting loads of pressure on myself and like worrying about reviewers and stuff. Oh, so I don't have to deal with that if I'm making myself sick. Or um, it could be like relationships. Um, sometimes people maybe want to avoid a relationship for certain reasons so if they're doing this they feel like they can't be in a relationship like there's lots of different reasons so we go into that um is that everything? I don't know like I say it's just trying to juggle all these things at the same time and uh something I do talk to my clients a lot about is like just having really good communication because like I'm trying to juggle these things for them and sometimes it might be one week we're like oh this thing has happened this week and we we plan to do something else but we really need to talk about this one thing that's happened this week. So um, I had a client recently and we said we were going to do a certain technique um, from neurolinguistic programming. But then we kind of got past the three weeks and I was like, oh, I don't want her to think, oh, Rachel said we're going to do this, but we're not doing it. But, you know, it seemed like other things were the priority. So I think um, just as a general point for everyone, like communication mm-hmm. is really important and trying to think, OK, you know I can't read your mind yeah you know you've got to give me some feedback like oh I really liked what we did last week or you know some clients are kind of clients who want me to give them something to do mm-hmm. between sessions or we all decide right this is your action whereas other clients would hate that it's more yeah. just like here's what we talked about I'll see you well not even I'll see you next week because my clients can talk to me um between mm-hmm. sessions but like here's the overview okay go away and do something <laughs> um with that 
sorry that was a yeah. big one. no 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 absolutely <laughs> fine um I think it's really interesting and like a really key point that you said about like all the different aspects that can cause like an eating disorder and you know that you maybe need to look into in order to unpick like what the bulimia serves for you you know I can imagine a lot of people will hold on to things from their past that however big or small you know maybe they need to reframe them in their mind or work work through them um different experiences so that you're not kind of holding that with you anymore and then relying on the bulimia to sort of distract from it or you know you know give you purpose or whatever things like that so I think that's a really good point and it just like reinstalls that thought that at the end of the day the eating disorder goes so much deeper than just the behaviors I think you know we can very much think oh you know recovery from bulimia is about stopping binging and purging um but I've known a lot of people that have maybe not addressed the deeper thoughts underneath and therefore they've just transitioned into a different eating disorder or a different mental health condition and that's not nowhere better um but it it just yeah because you don't actually go into what the bulimia is providing for you even if you think this is the shittest thing i've ever done in my life there's probably still going to be something that you know underneath it all it is serving for you um and i guess just kind of whilst we're talking about the behaviors um because i wanted to speak to you a little bit about the consequences of the behaviors as well um are you okay to just maybe explain a bit about you know the negative impacts of binging and purging yeah can i just say one thing on your other point super quickly i was going to say yeah, like, of course i've got to say something that i always do with people is like looking at the future so when you're talking i was mm-hmm. thinking like personally i use an integrated approach now because i think it's important to look at the past mm-hmm. but i think if we spent all the time looking at the past people would be like but i really need some tools to help me stop binging and purging yeah. right now so we need some present and we need the future so i think it's kind of good to have all of those um mm-hmm. aspects in therapy which i think quite a lot of kinds of therapy do have but not all depends what what approach you're going for um yeah the consequences okay there are quite a lot I usually forget quite a few and then when I come off the podcast with someone I'm like I've got all of those things um but if we think about the vomiting um obviously not obviously I don't know why I keep saying obviously today it's like do you know when you just have that word you can edit it out it's like when people start every sentence with yeah and (laughs) yeah (laughs) my grandma always starts sentences with no and sometimes she'll literally like not even she's literally starting a brand new conversation she's not even responding to you and she'll go no and you're just like that's so negative start at least with yes (laughs) it's like when you do it though you then you can't stop yourself like, like i remember it's I like, had like. Some, oh like yeah like and mm, like i had some interviews um when i was applying for unis and then my dad was like interviewing me and i just every question i was like um <laughs> he kept telling me off i was like i can't help it now um okay now i've said um let me um and think about it um, <laughs> yes so um thinking is obviously not very good for your digestive system um and it can be quite bad for your esophagus as well because of the acid and then acid can also impact your teeth which actually for me was one of the big reasons that i wanted to stop binging and purging because it was really damaging my teeth and that's like something that you can see um everyone like I think some of the other things if it's in your body 
unless you're having reflux or something of the consequence you kind of just think oh it'll be fine um and then also when you're purging that imbalances your electrolytes so actually it could impact your heart um which is quite dangerous because things would die but people think it will never happen to me um I know I definitely thought that I was like no it's fine it won't happen but does happen to people so um if you like go to your gp you can get your electrolyte levels tested and sometimes people get prescribed potassium tablets um and things um just kind of general health like all eating disorders really like hair skin that kind of um jazz i'm like i think there was a really important um even just stuff like actually you can burst blood vessels in your eyes kind of from the pressure of being sick um people often get what do they call it now what's the word gone out of my head um like when your glands and your face and neck kind of swell up and your face looks really puffy mm-hmm. afterwards um for a few days there's like a slang name that people call it but i can't remember what not chipmunk cheats no it, well anyway if you know you know um and then <laughs> look thinking look, about <laughs> yeah um laxatives can obviously be very damaging um to your digestive system um so you know sometimes with well with clients who are taking laxatives I do like to work with their GP or um with a dietitian or someone to kind of help them because sometimes actually it's not a good idea just to stop taking them depending on how many you've been taking sometimes it's actually a better idea to kind of reduce the amount so your digestive system can kind of get back um to working as it should um and then over exercise it's just general stuff like overuse injuries which again people think oh it's not going to happen to me or probably over exercise through it through an injury but you could really damage yourself especially if um you know you're not giving your body what it needs the rest of the time um i guess fasting probably going to have like low energy and then a lot of potentially the symptoms of starvation that we might see um so i suppose like lack of energy lack of concentration sometimes people might lose their periods um that kind of stuff so i think sometimes it's not like obvious to see what's going on um not just about bulimia but when i work with plants with other eating disorders sometimes i'm like oh wouldn't it be cool if we could like just unzip your <laughs> sounds awful unzip your skin and like see what's going on i know yeah. because then you could see oh look at my bones yeah. from this but because we can't see unless it's like i say i was like oh my teeth or when i was mm-hmm. really restricting i was like oh my hair is falling out like you know no one's business <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm laughing because I was always like um in the shower do you know when your hair comes out and then I was like oh I've got my hair mouse again <laughs> oh, do you collect it up you're like oh this is not good happened after I had the baby as well I was like oh no yeah <laughs> your hair. I think you're right though I think as awful as it is sometimes it does need to be like a a visual thing I think that's one thing that I have really struggled with in terms of being like everything's fine because i look fine so that's that's great um and someone i had to go and get some bloods done and i remember someone saying to me just be aware that often you know your bloods can be fine and it's when you then start to engage in recovery that's when things show up and 
you know i think it's very easy for the eating disorder to be like well you know your bloods are fine so i don't know what you're talking about like you're obviously you know you're obviously fine so you don't need to recover or whatever um and it, it can very much kind of adapt those those thoughts so yeah as horrible as i think the sort of visual signs can be i think like you say if we could unzip ourselves and see what was going on inside it might it might have an impact but i think also just what i found this is going to sound really bad to say like to be motivating but just hearing from other people about things that they've experienced because i think you do often think oh it won't happen to me like there's no way it'll happen to me um and then when you hear people real people like yeah this is what happened to me but it only happened like 10 years after or whatever you know because often it's not when you're in the depth of the eating disorder it's years later when you're trying to thrive and live your life and i'm sorry to be so like you know on a downer here but i think it's it's real talk in terms of it's not necessarily going to be right now that you see it it might be in a while um but kind of there are massive consequences to these actions and that's not to scare to anybody and i'm not saying that you know it's your choice to recover and all of that but i think sometimes you do just need something that motivates you to as hard as it is to kind of get engaged and get recovering yeah i think you had another point in there that was kind of about people's bodies can be very protective Mm-hmm. And you can be doing stuff that your body really doesn't like, but actually mm-hmm. it's working really hard to keep you functioning. But it doesn't mean that your body's happy and it's like you said, like it's not thriving. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not sure if you've had this recommendation for a book on the podcast before, but I think it's such a good book that talks about that. It's called Sick Enough. Sick not Enough. Sure okay. Read it. No, I um, haven't. It's no. called Jennifer Gaudiani. Gaudiani. Okay. I'm reading it because it's on my bookshelf. Um, I think it's just such a good book. If people are interested in like the biology and the more like sciencey mm-hmm. side of eating disorders, um, she yeah. just explains it really well. She uses like lots of case studies. Um, mm-hmm. And the whole point is like people saying, oh, I'm not sick enough. Mm-hmm. And like, okay, well, when is sick enough? Yeah. Um, it, yeah, I just think it's it's quite pricey. I think it's about £30. Pounds. Um, okay. So it's not cheap, but I do think it is a good book and you probably... Mm-hmm afterwards if you, if you want to do yeah. yeah yeah no thank you for that I that I think would really interest me because I am I do have a very sciencey brain uh and often I need things kind of laid down to me factually rather than anecdotally so um, I'll put it in the show notes as well with a link to it for people um so I'm just kind of aware of the time but I did just want to ask before we finish up um and I don't think I've I wouldn't have an answer to this question, which is also why I want to ask it, because I don't know whether I've seen it very much. I think we see a lot about supporting somebody with anorexia, you know, as a loved one or whatever. Um, But I think what I wanted to ask was if somebody, somebody's family member has bulimia, what would be your top tip for supporting them through recovery? Yeah, I think my top tip would just be to understand that they're not doing it on purpose. It's like not intentional, um, probably similar. So you've heard before people say about anorexia, but like um, I think it is really hard when you're struggling and if you know you feel like you have to do these mm. behaviours, someone just telling you, oh, don't do it. Well, my podcast is called Just Eat Normally. Someone's like, oh, just eat normally. Oh, just eat this. It's fine. You have to go and get rid of it. Um, 
And I think it can be really difficult if people are binging and purging when others are in the house. Mm-hmm. Um, do you know if you then make that person feel like they're under a microscope, mm-hmm. potentially not going to help them, depending on where they are in the eating disorder, they might just find other places mm-hmm. or other means to do it. Eating disorders are quite sneaky and quite inventive. Um, so I think it's just obviously with their best interests in mind, you know, if hard to say where is that line when people are really physically harming themselves but I think it is about trying to hold space for someone Mm -hmm. and they might be engaging in behaviors that you know are really not good for them and it is really hard to see um and I think just asking them how you can support them as well because it might be that you were saying about you actually found it beneficial to have your parents either Mm -hmm. or of them at home so it might be that they're like Oh, I actually said this to my partner once because um, what happened was I, when the bulimia started, I w- it was waking up in the night and like just eating because that was like the only time I would let myself eat properly. Mm-hmm. Well, not even properly, but like foods <laughs> rather than just like really restricting. Um, but then I just got into, I got into the habit of just waking up and eating so much food from the kitchen. Um, so I when I stayed over at his house sometimes maybe we'd been going out for like one or two years I was like if I wake you up in the night just hold me and do not let me go down to the kitchen um so he did and I was really angry with him but he like did it and for me that was interesting because it's like you know what we were saying about that urge that I think it was like oh I did go back to sleep I didn't have to go and do mm-hmm. it I think there was a piece for me about the physiological at the start of the binging and purging I actually needed more food um mm. and that was the only way I could get it but um do you know if my point was going to be if you know they're saying to you can you please sit with me after a meal you know try and be present for the person don't just be sat there on your phone like mm. you know ask them what they need sometimes it's difficult sometimes it might be please don't have any chocolate in the house mm. even if you want chocolate can you you know, it might be you questioning your own relationship with food a little bit, but, you know, is it possible not to have those foods mm-hmm. in the house? Like, um, I've got a podcast episode, um, it's like a Christmas episode from last year, but I think it's about, like, negotiating and thinking, like, oh, both of you probably have an ideal situation, mm-hmm. but there's somewhere in the middle, probably, that you're going to meet on this thing. So how could you try and have a conversation Um about it obviously like trying to pick a good time <laughs> when no one's tired or angry mm-hmm. or anything and like often I don't know if you find like going on a walk just to mm-hmm. talk about stuff and you know maybe try and make a plan with them hopefully if they assuming they are engaged or want to to do that but I know when my dad knew that I was binging and purging when I was living on my own he confronted me about it and I was like no it's not happening and then that was kind of that um because I think he thought well I don't know what I can do mm-hmm. unfortunately but um I suppose just trying to educate yourself more about eating disorders and like we've already said like everyone is so different mm-hmm. but if you can kind of get some idea someone's listening to this podcast so hopefully that's a good start yeah I think um that communication element is like the, I always think the most important part in terms of you know maybe going and have a little read beforehand but then not assuming that you know exactly what's going on and asking the person you know from their perspective you know 
what's going on and and how can I help you and what do you need and not assuming that every day what they need is going to be the same thing mm-hmm. um and yeah I think you you knocked the nail on the head there and I think also appreciating that even though they're you know hopefully engaging in recovery now it doesn't mean that it's going to be a walk in the park and and every day they're going to do I, like my mum a few weeks ago was like okay let's put together a plan and then we got to the end of the week and I hadn't followed the plan and she was like well why haven't you followed the plan like we put the plan together and I'm like well <laughs> if it was that easy then I, I, I would just it would all be good um so I think yeah just being able to have that open communication with each other and how you can support them and how you can support yourself are really good tips yeah I think as well um like just it's okay for the other person to not be okay I think sometimes when people want to help they want you to be happy or like Mm. you know you're trying to fight an urge you're probably going to be a bit grumpy and that's okay Mm. if you just want to sit and watch tv and not do much or you might want to go out and do stuff like I think just appreciating you it's not not on you to make that person feel better it's like not your responsibility and people have different emotions and that's okay yeah absolutely yeah we're all different I said that because my husband I think it was only as my partner just kept like at one point I just wasn't okay about stuff I can't remember what it was just mentally I just was like "Mm -hmm." not having a good time I'm just generally not feeling okay every day I can't remember what like I can't remember what it's about he kept asking me are you okay and I stop asking me it because I say no and then you don't like the answer like Mm -hmm. (laughs) just leave it just don't ask me just let me not let me just yeah. go throughout my day not being okay and I'm okay with that for a while like yeah I think sometimes the direct question of are you okay as much as it is coming from a good place sometimes it's it's better to just talk about other things or ask it in a different way maybe not so directly um yeah that's a very good point so you mentioned your podcast just eat normally so where can people find you for more amazing tips like what you've given today yeah oh thank you um so my instagram is rachel.evans.phd uh, i'm not super active at the minute but there's quite a lot if you like scroll down mm-hmm. um and have a look and yeah the podcast is still going and i also try and repost stuff um from other people on stories so you can mm-hmm. like um get a range of different voices about recovery um, and then my website is eatingdisordertherapist.co.uk amazing well thank you so much Rachel I feel like this episode is going to be so helpful for people you know whether they're in recovery or trying to get on that path so yeah thank you very much if you enjoyed listening today you won't want to miss next week's episode so be sure to subscribe eating disorders are crippling illnesses but with the right support they can be recovered from we really hope you enjoyed this episode but if you require more support right now please look into charities such as first steps and beat for support or talk to someone you trust